0: Hey everybody, how's everyone doing? Happy Wednesday. Uh, last night you guys got to watch a Best of California Haunts radio. It's kind of cool to have those, you know. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal problem or you think you have a paranormal problem, we can get to you, but it's going to take us a couple days okay it might it might i'm not going to and depending on where you're at it might take us a couple days you know when people think of california they think of us like a white right oceans beaches that whole thing tan bodies and bikinis and clothes well it is like that on the coast we have a big we have a huge coastline so it is like that but we've also got other areas like Sacramento. Um, in its own little pocket, uh, we've got the Central Valley where there's a lot of farmland. We've got uh, the mountains with the parts of Lake Tahoe and different places like that. you probably heard of those places, Placerville. You know, we've got Foothills and we've got a lot of farmland. Sacramento is like on the outskirts of farmland. If you, go, if you go to our airport, there's nothing but farmland. If you go to Stockton, for Sacramento, there's farmland. So, you know, we've got all that going on. And then we've got high desert. We've got, I say low desert, ha. We've got desert, high desert. So that's what I mean by even though I have people up and down the state, they still have to drive quite, you know, quite a bit to get to you. But you know what? Don't despair because we'll get to you within a couple of days. And what happens is in between uh, we have psychics on staff who can call you and talk to you about what may or might may not be going on in, in your home or office. And a lot of the times they can, they can calm down the energy until we get there. So ah, there's our guest. So um, yeah. They can do that. Anyway, I want to get right to it tonight. Um, I do have two events going on this weekend. Saturday is going to be the beginning of the uh, meditation club where you can uh, join this club for $25 a month and you will get three to four meditations a week. And we will go over health and, and, and everything to help you teach you how to meditate. There will be guided meditations. Check that out in the description of the show. And it's down below the description. Click on that. Sign up over at Meetup if you're interested in, in doing meditations. I'm looking at starting at doing this three or four times a week and maybe expanding off that. So if that's something that interests you, please feel free to do that. Okay, and so that's just something that I think is good for people. I mean, I'm going to handle money, you know, financial meditations. We're going to handle health meditations. I can tell you from experience that when I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and I started meditating, between eating right. And changing my mindset through meditation, my heart got better. You know, I ended up within about six months bringing my heart back up to a, a normal flow, even though I still have heart failure, but, you know, for uh, like, a normal, uh, like a normal heart flow. And that was through meditation. So meditation does work. So if it's something you might be interested in for stress release or whatever, come on over, sign up the California House Meetup, and we'll get, we'll get going on that. The first one is going to be Saturday at, at 5 p.m. Pacific. Alright, so just click on that link down there, and if the link's not there, I'm sure it's there, but if it's not there, just Google California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup, and then look under Events. The second thing that's going on is Sunday I'm teaching a, a Psychic Development Class too, and uh, some people have gone through the first class, and you don't have to really do the first class because if you really feel you have psychic abilities, what, what the second class focuses on is trying to hone in to see what those abilities are. You know you, might, you know, you might be good at clear audience. you might be good at clairvoyance. And I do little exercises to see, you know, what, where you might be good at. So, yeah, if you want to do that, again, look down at the description of the show, and you'll see that, um, that information is there to sign up. And, again, if you can't find that, go to the California Hunts Meetup page, and it's right there. Okay? Now, if you're watching from Facebook, and a lot of you are, Please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. Hit that share button and do hit those like buttons, okay? Because what that does, it, you know, well, especially if you like what you hear, what that does is it puts us high up, higher up in the algorithm, and Facebook then distributes, uh, you know, sends us out to more people to be seen. All right, and that's why we ask you to share this too. All right, if, if you like what you hear tonight and everything, just share this because we, you know, the, the more people we reach. The better news for the show. Same thing for YouTube. If you haven't said if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe. Hit you know, hit those happy faces. Hit hit you know, hit the hearts. Hit everything because it helps us. It really it helps us with the algorithm on YouTube as well. And we're trying to build up our YouTube following. Okay, we're trying to build up our following everywhere. That's that's what we do everywhere. So yeah, it works the same way on YouTube. And YouTube there's over there's over seven hundred videos over there from this show. I was surprised because. Twenty twenty one, I was in this in this in this studio, because I did I I did a year in my other studio, the big studio, but I you know the time goes so fast that you know twenty twenty one, I was already in this studio, so that that was kind of fun to realize yesterday, you know so I I've been doing this for a while, but the thing is we need you know we always need followers and subscribers so. The more, the merrier, and uh, I would think you guys would like the show enough to share it with family and friends, and maybe you're sitting there tonight eating dinner listening to me, blah, blah, and, you know, it, and and and, and there I go to where Mario goes. Look at that. Blinked out. Came back, Bing! But, uh, you know, and just share us. That's what we want to do. Like, like we say at the end of the show, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hate the show, share it with five, with five of your enemies. We're just trying to get the word out about the show. Anyway, you can find us on Facebook under California Haunts, California Haunts Radio. You can find us on Instagram on, on, under Ghosty or all lowercase. You can find us on Twitter under California Haunts. You can find us on Twitch under Cal Haunts. And we're over on TikTok under California Haunts. Okay, that being said, my guest tonight, Linda Lu Long, has written a book about a serial killer. And, you know, it's kind of Ted bunny ish in that this gentleman... Nobody suspected that he was like that. Uh, you know, it was one of these deals where he was such a nice guy. I read, I've read part of the book, and yeah, everybody that and everybody that realized that the, that this gentleman, boy, it gets hot here. i tell you, okay. um, Everybody that was in contact with this gentleman during his spree of killing people. Has nothing but nice things to say about him. He was the sweetest guy, yada, yada, yada. But yet, he killed multiple times. Multiple times. And I think there's stuff that he has done that that they haven't even linked to him yet. But anyway, we'll get into that. Linda Lulong Long is here, and it's going to be a full, well, it's going to be an over-the-air inter- interview. No, there's no camera in this. It's going to be an over-the-stream uh, yard interview, so, so I'm going to flash her photo up as she's talking and stuff. But uh, this is going to be an interesting story. I have read about halfway through the book. I get so many books, so I, I, I try to get through at least half to almost full books before I do interviews, but uh, sometimes it's hard. You know, I've got, I've got a bunch of stuff going on. So, um, let's bring her on and uh, let's get on with this and learn about the Tuskegee Strangler. Here we go. Hello, Linda. oh. Let's see. I'm something on here. Let me get the mic on. Let's see. Give me a second here. How now? Oh, there you are. Okay, cool. I got you. Scared me for a second, too.
1: Okay, <laughs> I just hit the wrong button.
0: That's okay. It happens. I hit a lot of wrong buttons. That's my issue. <laughs> That's what life is,
1: isn't it? Wrong
0: know, in my show knows that I'm, I'm a button pusher, so you know. <laughs> I've even had a mic literally, like, like, like you know, I had to have the mic strapped in a certain way. And I started the show where the, where the mic has fallen. So i had a little mic trap. Yeah. Right Tell us about you, ma'am.
1: Well, what do you want to know? <laughs> Tell me everything. No, I got I guess, into serial killers in the
0: first place? Yes. Yes. How do, how, how do people get into serial killers?
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Great picture. Uh, well, I uh, it was all a part of school. I was in class in a, a master's level uh, serial or not serial um, criminal justice program at uh, Sangma State University years ago in Springfield, Illinois. And uh, one of the classes I took was uh, serial homicide, and that was with Dr. Steve Egger, and it just it was, you know, I, I thought the class was fascinating, all that good stuff, but the project at the very end of it, of course, the final paper was you would write about a serial killer, and he put a list right. of them up on the bulletin board, pick one, and I said, well, everybody already knows, knows about all those people, and he said, well, so find someone no one knows about, and I said, how am I going to do that? And he said, I don't know, just find someone. So I I was just, uh, I worked for the government then, I'm retired now, but I worked for the government then, and I, uh, was handling some grants and contracts to the uh, University of Mississippi. Right. And so I had to talk to them on the phone at least twice a month, and I was on the phone with them one day, and I said, hey, y'all wouldn't have to have any serial killers down there, would you? And uh, he said, well, yes, as a matter of fact. And he transferred me to their sociology department, who gave me the name of the arresting police officer in Starkville, Mississippi, Uh, And I contacted him, and he was the chief of police by that time, which was several years later, you know, several years after the arrest and everything. And Mm -hmm. so he he couldn't do anything about it. He liked the idea that I was trying, you know, my professor was interested in it. We were trying to pursue it because no one knew about this guy. So he sent me the entire case file in a big box with the confession tape and everything. And he said, there you go. You get to write it now. So I said, well, okay. And then I took it back to my professor, and I sat on his desk, and I said, well, here it is. And he said, there you go. There's your stuff. Start writing. And huh. I did, I said, well, I really don't know what to do. And he said, well, just figure out what kind of story you want to tell and tell the story. And because, see, I had already written about it and written a version for him and his format for a textbook that he has. It's printed now. It's used mm-hmm. now in colleges. It's Serial Homicide. Uh, they're all around us by Dr. Steve Egger and it's, in, it's being used now. But um, he gave me, I think I'm chapter 13, 12 or 13. But I wrote about this particular killer within his format. You know, he had certain mm-hmm. things he wanted identified, family, occupation, education, things like that. So I went down the same format he had for all the other ones in his book. And I had a chapter out of it. And he he was the one who told me I should go further with it. And as part of that chapter, I also went down and did a visit. Uh, He was the, this killer, Jerry Marcus, was in Parchman Penitentiary, which is down in Mississippi. So as part of my class project, I contacted, sent the formal letter Mm -hmm. to the, warden and ask for permission and all this rigmarole to get into that place. You know, so I did actually meet him and speak to him personally face to face. And I exchanged letters with him for almost nine years. And he detailed to me other information besides what was already in the case file, but other information about Mm -hmm. what he had done and why he had done it.
0: I want to apologize up front. I have your middle name misspelled in there, in that graphic. It's L-O-U and not L-O-O. God knows what I was thinking.
1: I just noticed it.
0: That's yeah, okay. I'm, I'm so it. sorry. Yeah. Just just, just to let everybody out there know it's L-O-U. I'm an idiot. It's all
1: good. Well, it's hard for most people to <laughs> understand, but it's a southern sort of thing. You know, we call each other by two
0: names down here. Right, right, right.
1: Like Fannie Mae, Annabelle,
0: that sort of thing. So I, yeah. So I, I do apologize for that. That's you okay. know, I'm interested in you going through those records because, as a as a newspaper reporter covering crimes in courts, right? People don't realize what those court transcripts look like. Oh, they're so,
1: They are so, and they're numbered line by line. Yes. you know. I mean, yes. uh And because you can't you can't make one mistake in those, and people don't seem to. To get a grip on that, but you can't make one mistake on that, or you'll blow the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You know, so it it's um it can be real involved. I've learned a lot by writing about it. But you know, my own book, you know, that I wrote after the textbook version, the book that's published now, I didn't write it so much about him. Mm-hmm. I wrote it about the girls, because see, the thing that makes him different is that the women that he murdered were all his girlfriends he was having intimate relationships with, going out on dates, going to church, going to the grocery store. You know, everybody knew them. It had started in Tuskegee, Alabama, and everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no one even, and he, the girls that he killed, the first two, uh, he killed First, he got caught attempting to assault two of the girls. They were waiting on their bus there on the university. They were students. And he got out of that charge, and that was reduced, uh, and his aunt bailed him out of out of the county jail. He had never been in trouble before, and they just thought it was crazy because, see, he worked for the university. Mm-hmm. That's how he got there, and he worked as an intern in the hospital there. They had their own hospital on campus to take care of the basically the community, but the student body as well. And uh, that's where he worked. So he knew, you know, it was a small, small university. So you know the students, you know each other, everybody knows everybody. But no one ever dreamed that. Well, the first two he got caught, well, that was brushed under the rug, and the university didn't want to talk about it. But then the second two, they it was never revealed that he did it. I mean uh one of the bodies was never recovered. she was never found, and the other body was recovered and um and found and you know the only way I was able to get this information because the university my daughter and I went down there to go to the personnel office to talk to him about him and hiring him and da 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 da. And they did not want to talk to us, and we were escorted off campus. Wow. They didn't want to discuss it. They acted like they didn't know nothing, and they didn't want to talk about it. I could talk to their legal counsel, and that wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> so the funny thing was that you know, Tuskegee University is a very prominent black university, majority black. I think they've got a few whites. I'm not sure, but... It's a very prominent university, and they have, um, say, a hotel on campus within the school for Mm -hmm. families to stay at. You know, when they're there for graduation or ceremonies or whatever, they can rent their room there rather than go to one of the hotels. So we had already rented a room to stay in at the campus. So we snuck back on after dark when the guard You know the guards had changed at the guard shack and we snuck back in and just went to our room but once we were in and we got the room, we were trying to figure out how we could get the information I wanted and I said, well, I bet you it's in the student it's in the library somewhere Mm -hmm. and so we decided to check the student newspapers and I went to the approximate dates of when it had happened and I found articles in the student newspaper about these two students and that was the only material found only thing you know no uh, police reports no nothing
0: right. nothing so essentially so they, they're just trying to cover it up not cover it up but not you know not not, not publicize it because they didn't want their university name soiled
1: well, maybe that was it that's mm-hmm. probably a good part of it i'm not sure but they sure did shut it up real quick and it just, there was nothing. There was a little something in some of the local newspapers. And I think there was something in, a brief little something that's in the Tuskegee News. But, I mean, I had a, I had a reporter from two different newspapers that were trying mm-hmm. to help me find stuff. Sure. And there just was nothing. There basically was nothing. And, you know, he, he did those two girls. And then he... Right after that, right after, right, right after he killed the second one. And, you know, he killed her after they had played tennis, no less. Mm-hmm. And so once after he, it wasn't, it was only a matter of weeks before he started getting nervous and started feeling like people were watching him and, you know, that they had found the body. And he was with the group that found her. You know, what I mean, he was there. He was there all the time. So no one ever dreamed it was him or he had anything to do with it. So another friend of his who had graduated already from Tuskegee was working at the university, the school in Tennessee and offered him um, a, a student slot, you know, uh, for, as an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. to be on their ball teams because he was also a star athlete. So he went to the university in um, the school in Tennessee And he spent about six years there, he had two different relationships with two different students, he had children with two different ones, he worked for the university, uh, all different kinds of things, and then he finally, you know, he was there for like six years, you know, working, and off work, and going to school, and all this stuff, he finally popped his cork, he had gotten laid off from the university, okay, he had gotten in trouble, he got mixed up with letting someone have keys to an office, and they got in and damaged equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he lost his job at the school, and he decided he didn't want to go back to class anymore. He was tired of that, too. He had hurt himself, and, you know, athletically, I think mm-hmm. he had done something to a knee or something. And he he wanted to go home. So he started planning on how he was going to hitch home. But in the meantime, he was without a job and without student housing, and he was sleeping in the bunkers down on the ball field. Well, he went to the uh, public aid, you know, the government office there, and he got food stamps. Well, he met the woman who worked for the public aid office who got him the food stamps, and he invited her out on a date. And they must have dated for about, Three weeks before he murdered her, and Ooh. he and he was out of his pattern with this girl. Usually, he, he sees a strangler, and uh, hence the name. Right. Uh, but he liked to hand strangle. But this girl, instead, he was different. He was. They were at her apartment, and another tennis game they had been playing. And she came out of the shower. And he took a cable cord off the TV or stereo, whichever, and strangled her with that. And she didn't know why or what. And she's sitting there trying to get him to explain why while he's strangling her. And so she collapses on the floor, but he wants to make sure that she's dead. So he took her back into the bathroom and filled up the bathtub with water and held her under the water until the bubbles quit coming up. (sighs) (laughs) And then after he did that, he dried her all off. He redressed her in her pajamas. He positioned her in bed with a picture of her and her husband laying on the bed beside her and a little note that he scribbled on a piece of paper saying, Mm -hmm. I hate you, Arthur, which was her husband's name. Mm -hmm. And he left her. Well, when the authorities found her body, say, I think it was about four days later. And when they found her body, they he had cleaned up the apartment so well. It was just like no one even lived there. And I interviewed, I've got an interview in the book with one of the police officers who was on the scene. He said, if anyone had even told us that that was a possibility that she had been drowned, we would have checked her and found the water in her lungs and knew something else had gone off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He said the mm-hmm. way she was positioned in the bed, it just all fit. So there was a bottle of uh, antihistamine on the nightstand that he had opened and knocked over like she had taken too many of them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's how they, they termed it as accidental death. And But wow. after he confessed, then they reopened that case and put it down as a
0: homicide. Well, he was highly intelligent then. Pardon? He was really intelligent then, huh? Oh, yeah. He's, he's a smart
1: guy. He's still intelligent. Yeah. He's still yeah. there, from what I'm told. He's not, he was in parchment at first. Parchment's where they send all the bad guys and girls or guys. Right. And then he convinced him of his sincerity. Let's say that. And so they moved him to one of their farm prisons, down further on the Delta. Actually, it's right it's right by the state line to Alabama. And so he's down there on the farm, you know, now where they grow all the stuff for everybody and all that good stuff. And the restrictions are less, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, you know, he's right. make, convincing them to trust him. So but he's there until it's over, you know because uh, he have a, has a life sentence to serve in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. but if for some reason he outlives that life sentence, then he'll go to the next uh, to the next location where he killed is in Tennessee and he'll start serving a life sentence for the kill there. And that doesn't <laughs> count all the ones that he killed back in Tuskegee because you know when he came home and took that bounce in Tuskegee Before he went to Mississippi, he killed three more girls, one of whom was a girl he grew up with, her and her family, and they owned a local restaurant there in town, and he grew up with all of them, and he murdered her and buried her in his backyard. Wow.
0: And she was,
1: you know, by the time they recovered her body, it was just bones.
0: Right. Right. Now, my question were this is, you know, them. you talk with him and stuff. Did you ever, was there ever a clear-cut motivation that he had for doing this? You know, because they always, you know, go, go back in their life. To, did he have a horrible childhood? Or, or, or what What kind of put him on this track?
1: I think he was abused as a child. Um, he relates a lot of uh, negative activity with his father. Okay. And... His father abused his mother as well. His mother and his aunt, I met them both uh, when this research was early on. And, I, you know, the nice ladies, real nice. I went down, visited them more than one time, and interviewed them mm-hmm. more than one time. They had no idea, no idea at all, that their special boy was what he was. But, now, you uh,
0: write in your book how nice this man was, but how nice he was. You know, he was well-liked.
1: Yeah, he had always been, you know, and he, like I said, he, his mom lived in one house and his aunt lived next door and he would go over and when his aunt had a heart attack, a heart issue while she worked at Tuskegee too. And she worked um, in Central Supply, I believe, Mm -hmm. and she's the one that got him that job. So she had a heart issue and she had to quit. So that's part of why he came home and went back to work there so that he could take care of her. And, Ooh. you know, when he came back that second time, he worked on campus again. Except they didn't hire him this time. He got hired by a construction crew that was building on campus. But he still managed to get back on campus. And that's how he got back at those other girls. hmm you know because they were students so he was able to get to them when he had authorization to be on campus grounds which he did and he killed them.
0: it's interesting because you know as you're talking about this and him being on campus i think it's ted bundy too because ted bundy was always going to college during to mm-hmm. histories and i just wonder if it's a thing like you say i it, it's a thing because it's you know once they have permission to be on campus it's, it's, it's easy access to the girls
1: right exactly well This is a, this is, uh, all of these murders were, he killed black, black on black, and there wasn't any sort of uh, white, white things to do with this at all, because it's mostly a black community down there, so that didn't, you know, racism, none of that stuff even played a part here. It wasn't even part of the whole scenario, it was just that he had been so nice. Lived with his aunt, took care of her, helped people mm-hmm. cross the street, helped him put the groceries in the car, always going to church, talking to the mail person when they came. You know, I was I witnessed it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: how's Jerry? You know, the mail person came and delivered mails and said, how's Jerry doing these days? Haven't seen him, da 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 da. And she just, you know, his aunt just said, Oh, he's just the way, he's just the way. You know, they well, he's, Right. He's, right.
0: You know, so, when you got the... Okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: No, that's okay. It's my fault. <laughs> when you got the chance to talk with him, what was he like to talk to?
1: Well, you know, Parson Penitentiary it is a... Well, it contains some pretty rough criminals. You know, people you wouldn't even know of by name, but they're bad. Mm-hmm. And... The funny thing was, it's down on the Delta, too, okay? And it's like, once you're inside these 14-foot fences, um, and park outside, a, a modified bus. Pick everybody They get on the bus and drive from building to building. they like these modulars, you know, these little modular mm-hmm. buildings. And everybody lines up and comes off the bus goes into the building, goes through the security, comes back out the door, back on the bus, back to the next stop. And you come <laughs> to about four of those for all these security checks. And then you finally get to the building and the only real building, you know, brick and mortar building there was out there, a big concrete block thing. And maybe you remember, and maybe I'm not sure what it's like out in California, but back in the day, we used to have you know, the gymnasium, okay, and had the wooden fold-out seats that would pull out and push them back, and they'd have the basketball hoops and stuff, and and the gym doors would have that metal and the glass. Remember that woven metal that would be in the glass so the glass would yep. break when the balls hit itself? Yep. That's exactly what that place was like. And at the very end, when we got into that main building, we came up to the next table, three Uh, female security guards are sitting there. You go through the showing of IDs and everything because you weren't allowed to carry anything. So I'm not really sure why they had it by going through all these screenings for security. But anyway, then they open the door and you go out into the gymnasium and there were tables and chairs and everybody was having a big picnic. All these individuals, which I didn't know you could do it, had brought sacks of food into the prison and they were all sitting around the tables kids running and playing all over the place i'm sure if they'd had pets they'd been everywhere too and they just everyone loose together you know right and he didn't come out right away and you know i went back up and i said well i'm not sure where he's at but he hasn't come out yet and they said "Well, we'll go back and check and He's a narcissist, real narcissistic. So I guess he was making sure he was all dressed proper. But, you know, he came out and it almost looked like his prison uniform was pressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was almost like he had taken an iron to it and pressed it. His fingernails were all perfectly filed and his hands, everything, just his hands. Hands always interest me with people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see his hands. I said, let me see your hands. And he shows me his hands both sides. And his manicure, like, or I mean, he had done his nails clearly himself. But it was just so neat and so clean and everything. And, you know, I sat beside him and I kind of made a noise. And I scratched my head and I turned away. And he said, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, well, I expected, like, blood dripping from your fingers or something. You know, I said, you're just too nice a guy. And he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, I'm that way," and he laughed. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> he's just a nice guy. I can't explain any other way. He wouldn't have any idea, any perception, any anything mm-hmm. that he would, what he is. And he, you know, he's told me, you know, in the letters before, he said, "You know, I'd, I'd like to get out and stuff, but I will probably kill again."
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and See, he just at least he realized it. Was a- yeah. Hey, he just says he will.
0: For people that haven't gone to visit anybody in prison or in jail, um, or you know, high security jail, it's unnerving. It's, a, it's an unnerving experience. Even at the Yolo County Jail, when I used to have to in, in, interview uh, inmates there, you know, I used to watch the show Oz. Remember Oz on the HBO? Right. I used to watch the show Oz. So... Uh-huh. So calling in that interview was crazy because I thought, oh my God, there's the red line. You know, ever had to follow the red line down the hall? Right. And they do. They, they check you for everything. You can't take you take you can't take digital recorders in with you. You can't do oh. anything. Perfect. And the other and the other thing as I was going down the hall, you know, the gym the, the gym's off to my right, and the interview room is over off you know, up higher than my left. But they're all standing there at the window watching me walk down the hallway. <laughs> and the minute you hear, you know, it it doesn't hit you until you hear that big door shut behind you.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, it it is. It it was scary because that's the way it was. And all yeah. of a sudden, they're with them. Everybody. Yeah. Yep. It was just like a madhouse. It, and it wasn't really. I mean, everybody was just having happy family stuff. But, you know, in Illinois, it ain't that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're gonna go visit someone, you're in a small, restricted setting with less than ten chairs and,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: guards. This wasn't like that at all. This was like a. Sunday (laughs) picnic.
0: That's unnerving. You know, he was open with you about Like when he told you, he said, um, you know, I'd like to get out, but if I get out, I'm sure I'll kill again. Was he open about what he had done? Was he at peace with what he'd done? Or or how how was he, you know, when you asked him directly about it?
1: He never had any explanation for it. You know, because I asked him. I always asked. I said, well, why? Why? Why did you start this in the first place? But mm-hmm. see, he had a he had a history. Uh, you know, he he had a little bit of history of animal abuse, and um, you know he was caught doing things to animals and stuff. And so he had a history. He was implicated in some fire setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, his own house caught fire and burned. Uh, of course, they stopped the fire, but still there was a fire and. And then, oddly enough, while he was there, he was in Tuskegee at the time. By accident, I was on the square. You know, Tuskegee is one of these smaller towns, they have the county square with the county building mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was out there and I ran into some fellow who was out there with this car and he was rubbing the hood. That's a pretty nice car you got there. And I found out it was the assistant DA. And he invited me up to my office, up to his office, and we talked about it. And apparently, one of his nieces was one of the victims. And so he was all full of all different kinds of information. But he told me that when I found evidence of it after the fact, that the original courthouse that had all the paper copies, see, when Marcus was in all that trouble, there were no computers. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was in paper still paper files, typing, that sort of thing. And uh, the courthouse, uh, or I mean, the not it wasn't really a courthouse per se, it was a record section.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A fire and burned. Yeah. And all of those records were lost. And he was there at the time, but no one actually was able to say he did it because at that time they didn't know who he was Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. didn't know this but uh it caught fire and burned and and he had thought i guess he had implied that he had thought he would all the records would be lost but then Mm -hmm. the assistant d.a told me no we had copies in another location and he led me to another file that i went over to the courthouse and got copied out you know, that gave me more information on it. I thought that Mm -hmm. was kind of accidental that I ran into this fellow, and I was going to come back and interview him a second time to find out more about his niece, but um, he had a heart attack at a Fourth of July celebration, so I never got to make contact again with him. These people are all passing away. Mm -hmm. You know, mother's gone now, the aunt's gone now, and I've never really had any contact with the family because this isn't about the family per se. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know he has a brother and sister and such, but this isn't about them. This is about him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So their names don't appear in it anywhere. You know their names are not in in anywhere. Nothing. Now the aunt and the mother, yes, and the, and the I mean their name is mentioned, but there's no information about them. No, no nothing because this wasn't yeah. about them. This was about him yeah. and about his victims. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things, people get off on the family and this and that and the other. But no, no, I didn't want to bring that into it. I wanted it to be about him and and the girls, mm-hmm. not about anyone else.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, they know exactly how many he killed? Or, or did you think there's still people out there that he killed that they can't find?
1: Oh, yes. It's, there's others. Um, he told me that there were others, but he never talked to me any further about it. Um, mm-hmm. he, he said and and there were times when he was married to his high school sweetheart uh, the doctor she worked for at the VA moved his practice down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana and he helped them load and unload U-Haul equipment and take that down there okay so he was in and out of Baton Rouge more than one time mm-hmm. and that's an easy place for people to disappear mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. down there It's easy for people to disappear. And so, you know, he could have killed people that they wouldn't have even known was wrong. Right, right. You know, he never told me any more about it. And I wanted to have another interview, you know, with Mm -hmm. him and talk to him some more. And I may yet try to Mm -hmm. revisit him again because I was the only person that ever visited him. And I don't think he's had a visitor since. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure about that, but. You know, I'd like to talk to him again about it, but we—I ha- had a little thing. Uh, one of the um, one of the DA offices people in Tennessee wanted to hook him to some cold cases that they had that they weren't able to solve. And she contacted me, and I said, "Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Let me give him a call. And we'll set up an interview, hopefully."
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: she said, "Okay, well." She didn't wait. She went ahead and contacted the um warden and tried to get permission to see him and talk to him and he completely shut down. He would not <laughs> talk to her and he hasn't talked to me either since. And I said, It wasn't my fault. I didn't have anything to do with it, but that was enough for him. He didn't want to talk anymore. So oh. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to go back. Um, the uh, officer arrested him, David Lindley, he's retired now. And I'm, mm-hmm. I think uh, David Lindley, myself, and the other um, police officer from Tuskegee were all three going to go and try to visit him. But, you know, doing and you know, pulling us all together in two different states and three different states and getting it all right. done is another story. But... That's part of the plan.
0: <laughs> you know, you see, you know, movies about these serial killers, you know, and did you go in with a... And I mean, I did this too because I didn't know what to expect, you know, when you meet with these people. Did you have a, 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 pre- a preconceived thing in your mind when you went in that you were totally shocked, like you say, because he came out looking so clean and everything?
1: Right. It, well... <laughs> It's just this this case is so strange, you mm-hmm. know, because that's why I, I picked it up and went with it in the first place. I mean, you could always write something about one of the other killers everybody knows about. But this case was so strange and so different. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, he just never has. He's not a, one would say bloodthirsty or vicious or cutting people up or any of that stuff. No, he's just real insidious the way he sneaks in, you know, and he gets right next to him. Such a nice guy. Help him with Mm -hmm. the homework, all that stuff. And then, you know, you're dead.
0: (laughs) When you talk to the people, like like you talked about his neighborhood and stuff, I mean, they had to have been shocked because, I mean, they thought he was a nice guy.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, his mom and his aunt had no idea whatsoever. You know, and Mm -hmm. some of the... I gave to them; they had never known. It had never been revealed to them. See, it was even they didn't even know. You know, it it was so so successfully shut down. They didn't even know themselves. So got a lot of pleasure out of, or I mean, not pleasure, but a lot of satisfaction out of getting, letting them know because they never knew. I mean, they knew some of these girls. His mom got him introduced to one of the victims. She knew her from church, mm-hmm. and he met her in church. That didn't matter. He killed her anyway. Yeah, right,
0: right. Well, my question on this too, you because know, he did this, and he was in, he was living in this neighborhood. Did, did the neighbors notice, like, he bringing people back home with them, or that he would take the, like like long absences to do this stuff, or was it just like he'd go out, do it, and come back for the night?
1: Well, that's what was curious. One of the neighbors now. Again, she's already passed away. I wasn't able to interview this, but one sure. of the told authorities at the time that she thought she saw him struggling with the girl on the steps of the house. See, these houses are concrete block and they have the stairways on the outside. Okay. You know, a lot of times the stairway to the second floor will be on the outside of the house and on the mm-hmm. out in the open. So, you know, he pushed her down the stairs. And one of the neighbors indicated that she thought she had heard the struggle and seen that girl fall down the stairs. But Mm -hmm. the police never interviewed her about it, and I was never able to contact her back about it, you know, because she was already gone. It was too late. Mm -hmm. You know, it had just laid for so long, and she was gone. I couldn't interview her. So Mm -hmm. that's the problem with a lot of this. i it's almost impossible to find people to interview that remember it or had something to do with it. now, when when the book was written, that was another story. that was several years ago when I was able to get all those interviews in. But today, I don't know who will be left. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, David's left, uh, you know, the arresting officer and and Al Kendall, who is a uh, officer in Tuskegee, the investigator who knew Marcus for years, and he knew he was guilty, but he just couldn't catch it. And that was so irritating for him, because he couldn't catch it. And then he made that mistake there in uh, Mississippi, and, well, he got caught.
0: Right. How many uh, murders are known that that he did? Seven. Seven? Okay. That
1: was over 16 and a half years' time. Wow. Time went by during, during which he murdered these women. Wow! Now the first I one we talked girl, about, I called them girls too because they were right. so young, you right. know. But yet women, but yet they were girls, right. you know. When I they were right. so young.
0: So you you, you call it, you know you call them a narcissist? You think because it's it kind of you know, like I said, it parallels kind of like what what Bundy did because Bundy would wash their hair, you know, and stuff like that. And right. Do you think he might have been a bit of a sociopath?
1: Well, I'm not one. I'm not sure where he um, he did change. He changed his M.O. completely uh, mm-hmm. with the victim in Tennessee. You know, the redressing and the the cleaning up of the room and the yeah. using cord instead of his hands and the drowning. He had never done anything that um, I don't want to say that um intense. Let's say. Mm -hmm. You know, before he had been a simple strangler. (laughs) I mean, that's not simple, but yet he strangled. And that was how he murdered the girls. And sexual assault usually didn't occur because they were already into it, you know, having intimate relationships a lot of times when this occurred. So, you know, it wasn't like that, but it's just so strange. It's still, you know, it's still such a strange thing. It's still... There's, there's none other like it. It's just he, because he's, you know, they don't have to be gory to be dangerous. Right, you know right I And mean? some of right. the most dangerous ones, they're around us every day. They're next to us at the grocery store, at the gas station. They're all around us.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: people that could just step right over the line and kill you. Absolutely. It's was, it,
0: to- was it hard to get him to talk to you? I was he open right away with you?
1: Well, I started out with the letters as Jane Doe. Sure. <laughs> and that was part of class. You know, and, and I had, you know, I had to tell the class, you know, what stage I'm at. I've sent this letter, I've sent that letter, I've sent for permission, da 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 mm-hmm. And it was part kind of a learning for the whole class, how to go about someone in prison or whatever. But it was just some... Um, It was just um, a different sort of thing because it wasn't like it. It it was like it shouldn't be. I'm not sure how to explain it. I'm still perplexed over it even today. You know that he's such a nothing like you'd ever dream Mm -hmm. would do nothing.
0: You know, not Mm even
1: narrowing of the eyes or anything. You know, they
0: say you can give eyes and stuff. Nope.
1: Not this guy. Nope. Wiki clean.
0: It's just, this is interesting to me, because like I told you, you know, in the initial interview that I did with you on the phone, when I interviewed this gentleman that had committed murder, he was so sincere. Right. You know, well, you know I didn't do this, but uh, so-and-so, you know, this was a set. But I mean, they're so sincere when they're talking to you.
1: Oh, sure. Well, I mean, he, you know, he went, you know, when he finally got caught and ended up, uh, you know, it was several several hours of interview before he finally confessed. But then he said, and I'll tell you about the other girls, too. Because they had no idea. They thought it was just that one girl, Dot Davis. But that wasn't. And he said, oh, I'll tell you about the other girls, too. And these cops are just like, oh, no, what? And then he confessed about all the other girls. Ooh. And so that was kind of a shock to them, too. And then the, they all went out and started... You know the people in Tennessee opened up the case and reopened it and re-evaluated her and mm-hmm. made it not a medical thing but made it homicide. And you know they all went back to their offices and did various things along that line. But he, he, uh, I, I hope, I hope I can persuade him to talk to me some more and give me more information.
0: Mm-hmm. You know did, I don't ever, know, did he ever tell you why he did it? Well, I
1: asked him over and over, and he just said he he didn't realize that that was really what he was doing. And I said, "Well, you were strangling them." Mm-hmm. He said, that, "He said, but they seemed to like it. I we were we were intimate. We were making love." And I said, "But they're dead." And he said, "I know." It was just <laughs> like he didn't realize himself what he was doing, but yet he kept going back and doing it again. Right. And, you admitted he said I can't I can't stop it I can't control it see when he went away to Tennessee he thought it was over you know those first two girls were going to be the last two and then he lost it and he strangled that other girl the public aid worker and you know killed her and then that was his downfall then he went back home and he killed three more and then he let's see one two three uh one two three and four, five, six, up, yeah, killed three more, and then went to the Mississippi and killed the last. Because hmm. the ones, the last three killed in Tuskegee, they were, they were within weeks of each other. And that's when Al Kendall, who you know was the investigator there, just started getting real hot on Marcus's trail and kept calling him in for interviews and talking to him and trying to corner him. You know, because he had the one of the girls, he had, you know, he had implied, you know, Marcus had told him it was uh, a certain other fellow who was his girlfriend, you know, his boyfriend, her boyfriend. And he tried to imply this guy, but this guy had, you know, he was working with his brother in law in a garage and he had, you know, he had a strong alibi. So that didn't work. And that started, you know, when the alibi started caving in, that's when. That's when Marcus knew that he was caught.
0: Well, talking about that subject, how did they catch him exactly? I mean, you know, because, I mean, he was, he was, like you say, they were looking at different alibis, and somehow he, you know, somewhere along the line, he was the suspect. But yeah. as far as his arrest goes and all that, did Marcus know it was coming, or, or did they show up one day at his house, or how'd that work?
1: No. See, he got, um... He actually went to the police um, himself after he had murdered Dot Davis and strangled her and dumped her body. He was driving out in the country, you know, down in that area, of Mississippi is pretty isolated. You know, there's not street lights and stuff, and it's pretty isolated out there. And he was driving along county to county trying to figure out what to do. And that's how he went through three different counties before he dumped her body. And... The authorities figured that he did that on purpose to try to confuse things, but I think he did it on purpose because he was basically confused. Mm -hmm. You know, he Mm -hmm. himself was, I don't think it was deliberate on his part, you know, to try to outthink the police by going through three different counties. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was it at all. I just think he was really freaked out and was just driving around aimlessly, not sure where to go, but then he went back, and he was parked in a parking lot. He fell asleep at a gas station with the car running in a parking lot, thinking he would, he would, The carbon monoxide fumes would kill him, and he oh, would okay. die there for his for what he had done, and he'd be dead. But no, mm-hmm. he woke up the next day, and the car was had stopped running. You know, they'd run out of gas, and the, uh, he woke up the next day, and and went to the guy in the gas station. He told the guy in the gas station she had been robbed the night before as part of a ploy to try to, I'm not sure what he was trying to do, but just as part of a ploy that he had, you know, that's why he was there and he had been assaulted and all this good stuff. And so he tried to talk out of, this was in Columbus, Mississippi, and he tried to talk the police out of that. You know, that was what happened. He was assaulted and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, he tried to go to the police and get them to help him. Mm -hmm. He had been assaulted. It was him. You know, that some guys had assaulted him. So Mm -hmm. that's how he got caught. And the guys, see there wasn't a lot of, a lot of things that Steve, Dr. Steve Egger talks about is linkage blindness. Mm -hmm. And that's something he designated himself. And that is that, um, like state police, county police, city police, sheriff, all that, they don't have a, A line of communicate. You know what I'm saying? You've seen it, Uh right? You know they don't, they don't share information. You know they may find out something and call them and tell them something, but they don't openly share information because everybody seems to want to get it first. Mm -hmm. You know, to to get the catch first, to get the arrest first, or whatever, and they won't share information. Well, that's what was going on down here, Mm -hmm. and no one really knew. You know, the, the ones in Columbus didn't know that he was already suspected in Starkville and that mm-hmm. they were trying to, you know, pull him in on all that. So that's how they finally caught him. Mm-hmm. Was that he had tried to go to the police himself, indicating that he had been assaulted. Mm-hmm. And that, does, that never works. <laughs> but he figured if he went to them, they'd know he was innocent.
0: Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You, know, you kind of talked about... Him hurting animals when he was younger. When, when, how old was he when he did his, his first kill? It's not an animal. Just a human.
1: When, when he, when, you mean, when he, What? Well, now repeat that.
0: How old was he when, he when he killed his first victim?
1: Well, he did this stuff with the animals and all this. When he was between eight and nine and 10, 12 years oh. of age. And then when he got a little bit older, um, you know, high school started interesting, him. you know, junior high and high school started interesting in the sports and stuff. And he really got away from the um, animal exploration, let's say, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and all of that. Uh, but he had, uh, his aunt had found um, a doctor's bag. You remember, well, back in the day, doctors, you know, would do their house calls and they'd have right. that black leather bag. She found a doctor's bag back in a a small shed that was on the property where he used to do some of his things with animals. And she was out there, and she found it. And she didn't know where it had come from, and she left it alone, but she mentioned it to him, and it disappeared after that. But he had stolen Mm -hmm. that, I suspect, from the hospital. And that's the equipment he was using to... um, Operate on his animals or whatever he was doing with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he had some curious things going on with his childhood, but then again, he was building it up. He was building it up even then, you know, being nice and realizing that he could fool people if he was just a nice guy.
0: Now, was his family aware that he was killing animals and stuff or not?
1: Not really. Okay. Not really. Um, it wasn't like he did it in front of them. Right. Um, it wasn't like that at all. Um, I don't think they even... He had a room in his aunt's house, and she he kept the curtains covered and everything, you know, kept the room blacked out. And uh, she went in there once to try to clean up, and he was just enraged, and she never wanted to get him up. She told me she, he frightened her, and she never wanted to get him upset like that again. So she <laughs> never went back in the room. But, uh, so no one really saw what he did or where he hid his stuff or anything. he was so private about it. And you know, he'd have these anger flares, you know, lose his temper and he frightened people when he did that. It didn't happen very often. You know, it never happened on the job. and he was a, it's another curious thing about Marcus, and I was interested in maybe um, doing some research along this line, but he had to have a job he had to be employed he had to work right his dad punished him and spanked him um, beat his butt or whatever over some thing mm-hmm. and after that he said that he never went out. he always was always work he was working through all of them mm-hmm. you know all the time he was murdering ladies
0: So what makes this so interesting, too, is that he admits to what he did, and he he admits to saying, hey, you know what, well, like you say, you know, if I get out, I'll probably kill again, but, but I mean, he, he was well aware, it wasn't one of these cases where he would kill somebody, and it was like a blackout or something, you know, to where he would forget, because he right. knew exactly what he was doing. Right. They just
1: put it aside. Yeah. You know, it's just like, put it aside. Put it, Go away, and that's what he did. I think, the time when he went to Tennessee, he thought that if he changed his life, mm-hmm. he left his his wife in, uh, in Mississippi, or shoot, in Tuskegee, because he was mm-hmm. married there, and he left her there to go back to school, and uh, they never got back together after that. I mean, never, you know, were husband and wife again after that. Of course. Of
0: course. And when he left,
1: that was when he had those. Two different relationships with two different women on the campus there in uh, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So, Is
0: there, it, go ahead. It Was Is there any particular place that he liked that, that he liked doing this more than others, or, or, or did he just like you know to travel around and do this so that you know he, he would confuse the cops?
1: Mm. I don't think it was so much that um, it, he always had a car, and uh, a good majority of the time at Tuskegee, he used his aunt's car. So he always had transportation, and that's how he got the two in his car. You know, the second time there on campus because it was hot,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he had air conditioning, and he offered them a ride home. Oh, okay, and that's how that happened, both times. Mm-hmm. And he was successful with both of those girls. Well, like I said, the first girl, and we couldn't even find any information on her going through records um, with the newspaper or anything. The first girl, mm-hmm. he claimed he had uh, put her body in a vacant building or a vacant house. And they he would co- go back and check her as they do. Mm-hmm. And that he went back once, and it was under construction, and the building was gone, and everything was like graded over, so he said he didn't know whatever happened to her, and that was why he drowned the the girl in Tennessee, the woman in Tennessee, because he was afraid somehow that girl was going to come back someday and accuse him, and he was going to get caught
0: right. and that
1: wasn't what happened at all, but that's what that was one of his that was one of the things he was afraid of.
0: I just find it interesting you know you know like you said he was well he was well aware of what he was doing and it was premeditated and he just went on and on and on with this stuff. I guess you know it's, I think it's a thing like like police officers for instance you know once they go to one murder scene or they go on to the next one, it's not that they get like numb to it, but it's it's a thing where it just becomes like an everyday thing because I remember even having a news beat you know the first few bodies that I had to look at I was just grossed out. I didn't like it. But then as time went on, I just kind of, like, I just kind of refocused on it as being a job. You know, okay, they're there, they're, you know, the they're, they're, they're bodies are they're, they're no longer there. So I well, wonder if that's how he was looking at it.
1: It's just desensitizing. The, the,
0: yeah, the, yeah.
1: You know, and I like, just thought, you know, whatever happened, happened, but it wasn't really him. He wasn't right. really responsible. He had right. just lost it, briefly, mm-hmm he mm-hmm. shipping, or i mean himself hmm, excuse me himself back together
0: how old is he now
1: i believe he is seventy four years old seventy four or 76
0: hmm. Unav- And how how long did he kill you know what was the time span pardon you know, the time span of of, of the killings of, of his victims
1: um, but uh, he killed up until 1986, I believe. Okay. That was okay. And, um, and he, you know, he killed for, like I said, 17, 16 and a half years. Wow. That's before. a long time.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: But why would they ever suspect him? Such a nice right.
0: <laughs> I mean, really? he
1: was always right there.
0: You mm-hmm. know,
1: always there. You know, but that's the way they are. The people, you know, think it's oh, he was there; he couldn't have done anything wrong. Well, no, that's not true. Those are the ones mm-hmm. that are watching, you know, they're they're right there. They want to see. They want to see what happens. They want to see how they're going to be implicated if they are. They're usually right there, right not very far away at all.
0: Right, right. You know, right, bodies
1: right. are recovered or such.
0: Absolutely. You know, this hour we by. I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's fascinating. I appreciate you asking me. I'd love to talk.
0: I would love to get you back on again to talk more about this. This is good stuff, you know? Um, well, next? that, that award
1: ahead. on Saturday with the uh, with the um, Killer Nashville International Writers Conference, and I'm up. I've been nominated for the Silver Flashing Award Um. um and I got, let's see, I'm one of eight out of almost 5,000 entries. So I think that's pretty wow, good.
0: that's really cool. That is yeah, really cool. we'll see
1: if I win or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. So beyond that, what you try, try, like you said, you were talking about writing another book or adding to this one?
1: Um, well, this one will probably go into something else. I've been talking, I've, I've been working on a screenplay with some people and we're talking about i mean this is the first book about a, exclusively about a black serial killer
0: uh-huh. you know
1: nothing else but a black serial killer and his victims so um we we're, we're probably going to make a film out of it i know that there's some small small scale films going on about serial killers and all that stuff but this this we hope will be a little different since it's you know based on fact and all that you right, know it is right, right. Thing created. It's going to be based on fact. Right. So we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But I got another one coming out. Um, I'm working on uh, with my publisher and another author that he has um, um, a version of John Wayne Gacy. Oh, I'm in cool. the book because John Wayne Gacy was first before he did any of those other things. He worked in Springfield, Illinois when he was 22 and 23 and 24 years old. Actually, half of 24 before he left. But I think he killed there first. And I've got interviews and stuff going on. And there was a body they recovered from the old building he used to work in that was abandoned. And it was the body had been stuffed down the chimney from the roof, which only could have been done from inside the store and a certain door to reach the roof. It wasn't public access. So, you know, I got the autopsy on that, and we're working on that, too. so
0: well, I'll have to get you back on with that one. Uh, a couple of years ago, I interviewed his attorney.
1: His oh, yeah. Attorney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I met him before, and I've told him these things, but, you know, they had the kills in Chicago. That's all mm-hmm. they needed. You know, they mm-hmm. had the bodies, they had the kills. They didn't need any more anything. But I think that he was young, and I think he started... He started in. Uh, he started in Illinois in Springfield in the capital. And I'm, I'm almost confident he did. I've got information, and it, there's a there's a little bit in the book about that too.
0: Okay, Not cool. much,
1: but a little bit. Just a tease, you know.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again, and I'll, we'll be in touch. I'd love to have you come back on and talk about stuff. This is fascinating
1: okay. to me. Oh, sounds like fun. All
0: right. Well, you had a great. Oh, how can people find you?
1: Um, it's. Google. All you have to okay. do is Google Tuskegee Strangler and it comes up in all languages.
0: Sounds good. All right, Linda, you have a great rest of your evening. All right, thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was fascinating. It takes me back to my roots, back to my my, my, my pound in that news. Speak to as a crime reporter. Fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. And the book, like I said, I, I, I read a good chunk of it. It's a great book. So if you, if you guys want to read it, a great story, this this is the one for you. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears. We're shifting things around a little bit. Nancy Matz is going to be on tomorrow because our guest for Friday, uh, the, 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 uh, house, the the Astrology House, the Astrology House, requested that uh, she be on Friday. So Nancy Matz is going to be with us tomorrow. And we're going to be talking about how to... Let me read this. I came up with the topic, you know. Ah. It's, it's, it's figuring out your own intuitive self and, and how to deal with that. So Nancy's going to be talking about that, so you get to learn how, how to figure that out. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Again, if you're watching from Facebook and you haven't done so already, you like what you heard please be sure to hit that follow button and leave me some thumbs up and some happy faces or like Jerry did, a nice little shock face that, that works too. Any kind of face like that. Just smile. Show me some love. Same thing over on YouTube. Show, show me some love and sign up and subscribe because we, we have a lot of stuff going on during the week. We're on sun, Sunday through Friday and uh, sometimes on Saturdays. But there's a lot going on you know, with the show. Different types of guests. In fact, next week, we are going to be doing an Include an all-inclusive week on UFOs and UAPs and alien abductions and all that stuff. So that's going to be the whole week next week, Monday to Friday. So you don't want to miss that. So put that on your calendars and stuff. Then anyway, I want to thank you all, and I really appreciate it. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hate the show, share it with five of your enemies. You know, we have equal opportunity here, and we're always looking for people to follow us and subscribe and all that stuff. You know, the more word of mouth that could spread, the more people see the show. I mean, look. Look how much we've grown over the last year. This year has been a huge leap, and growth wise. So, I'm really excited. So, anyway, um, thanks everybody. I'll show you the you look at her book uh, one more time, and then I'm going to sign off here. So, here we go. That is the Tuskegee Strangler, the nicest serial killer they ever met. And that's by Linda Lou Long, You can get that at Amazon. And it's an excellent book. It's, it's, it's written nicely. All that good stuff. All right, guys. I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening.